As a finance professional, you're constantly looking to learn from the best. Do you want to meet them? Join me and our panel of top industry experts at our next CFO Leadership Live event on August 24th in Dallas, Texas, as we talk with three CFOs about the challenges that finance teams are facing today and how best to overcome them. The workshop includes a complimentary buffet lunch and the chance to network with other DFW finance leaders. Head over to CFOLeadershipLive.com to secure your seat. Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Chip Pate. Chip is the Chief Financial Officer for SecureLink, a leader in critical access management. Named one of Austin's 2021 top CFOs, Pate brings an engineering mindset to operational technology leadership and has played an integral role in SecureLink's business success since joining in 2017, steering finances while leading a massive customer onboarding process. Previously, Chip served as a financial executive at various tech companies, including WebSense and PDI Software. He brought his expertise in financial and operational excellence, financial modeling, investment review, internal controls, and buy and sell side diligence to SecureLink. During his tenure, he helped triple the company's revenue and guided SecureLink towards a now continuous rapid growth trajectory by overseeing the sale of the company to Cove Hill Partners. Chip, thank you very much for being my guest this afternoon. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Today, we're going to be discussing a topic that's of great interest to me, the journey to become a data-driven organization. These days, we're collecting more data than ever, but the data itself is worthless without undertaking the necessary transformation to extract insights from that data. And many organizations fall short of achieving that full transformation for one reason or another. So let's get started in discussing how we can be better prepared for and smarter about this journey. Sounds good. First, tell me about your career progression and and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So after graduating from the University of Virginia, uh, my first job out of college was to be an engineer. Um, but I quickly changed focus and worked in a variety of financial and accounting roles. I started off as a financial analyst at Applied Materials, after which I moved to Compass Learning, where I became their FP&A manager, got promoted to director, and then eventually became their controller. Um, following my time at Compass Learning, I became the senior director of FP&A at WebSense, helping the company move their headquarters from San Diego to Austin. And then I moved on to PDI Software, where I served as their CFO. In 2017, I brought my expertise in financial and operational excellence, financial modeling, investment review, internal controls, and buy and sell side diligence to SecureLink as their CFO, and I've since taken on responsibilities as the COO as well. I'm really proud of what we've been able to accomplish at SecureLink over the last few years, even after experiencing all the challenges of the the recent pandemic. Since I've joined SecureLink, we've managed to quadruple the company's revenue, mostly organically. And additionally, in October 2020, uh, we made some changes that allowed SecureLink to continue its growth trajectory, resulting in the sale of the business to Cove Hill Partners. 
I've also recently guided SecureLink through its first acquisition of data governance company Maze Analytics out of Nashville, Tennessee, earlier this year, which was also exciting. That's a super interesting career path. So you studied systems engineering, um, but here you are today, you're a CFO. So first of all, tell us how you made that transition. Yeah, to be honest, the, the transition was actually surprisingly easier than I expected. You know, throughout my life, I've always had a passion for numbers, um, which is obviously a key attribute for anyone who's either in an engineering role or a finance and accounting role. And, you know, so to make that transition, it was one that was a little bit scary at first, but at the end of the day, you know, just being able to use my engineering background and apply it to finance roles, I think the transition was actually pretty easy. So did someone come to you and ask you to take on a role or did you actively seek out a role in, in accounting and finance? Yeah, it was actually a little bit of both. Um, you know, at Applied Materials, their finance and accounting organization actually needed someone with database experience. Um, and they were looking for somebody and it was an opportunity for me to kind of jump over. Um, and like I said, I was approached and at first it was something that I was like, I don't know if I want to do that, but um, after thinking about it, I thought it would be a great opportunity to kind of join a team that I didn't have much experience in. And so, um, again, it's obviously worked out for the best. Yeah. So what advantages do you think that, that that background gives you? Yeah. You know, honestly, I think my engineering background and systems approach give me an advantage in financial roles because I, I look at things more holistically. So, you know, if, if I have an investment opportunity that I'm in the process of reviewing, um, I use a systems engineering lens to look at the, the investment. And I'm able to notice ripple effects that that investment's going to have across the organization, which allows us to be better prepare for any secondary impacts, you know, ones that you wouldn't see um, on face value. You know, a perfect example is like, if you learn that a product release is going to be delayed due to challenges within the development organization, it's going to have an impact on your entire company's forecast, not just the dev industry or excuse me, organization. Um, so obviously within dev, you know, you're going to have timing of spending, um, you know, resource constraints, things of that that are all going to have to change based off that new knowledge. But that impact goes way, way larger across the entire organization. Um, if you think about it, you now are going to have to look at, you know, when is your marketing spend going to be tied to that product release? And when are your sales and bookings forecasts going to be um, based off a new date of when that product's actually going to be able to go to market? So, you know, thinking at it for, with a systems approach allows you to look at how that change is going to impact the entire organization. So that way you can make sure your forecast uh, is completely adjusted for any sort of changes. Yeah, I'm sure that holistic viewpoint is more important these days than ever. I mean, the days of operating within a silo for finance and accounting are, are long over. So very true, very true. Tell us about SecureLink, um, maybe a bit about their history, their mission, and, and what it is they do. Yeah, so I'll start by telling you a little bit about SecureLink. We're actually the industry leader in critical access management, uh, empowering organizations to secure their most high-risk assets including network systems and data. Organizations across multiple industries, including healthcare, manufacturing, government, legal, gaming, all trust SecureLink to protect themselves. Um, a little bit more about our history is that we were founded in 2003 as a software platform to provide secure, accountable, and audible third-party remote access. Since then, we've helped more than 31,000 organizations ensure their data is secure during tens of millions of support sessions. Our mission is that we provide comprehensive security solutions to govern, control, monitor, and audit the most critical and highest risk assets within an organization. So let me break that down a little bit by telling you a little bit more about 
what exactly we do. So as I said, every organization has critical assets that they need to protect, whether it's their network systems and infrastructure, applications, or data. You know, SecureLink helps that organizations protect the critical assets from malicious actors by securing all forms of critical access, from remote access for third parties to access to critical infrastructure, regulated information, IT, or even OT. Um, a couple examples are, you know, we have a major healthcare provider who uses SecureLink to manage access to its medical equipment so that only certified and authenticated users are able to access critical systems such as MRI machines or health monitoring systems. Uh, we have a major real estate management company that uses SecureLink to manage its access to dozens of major buildings and infrastructure, allowing its safe and secure access to building automation and security control systems. Another great example is a major healthcare provider uses SecureLink to monitor access to private patient data to ensure that only the appropriate caregiving team um, who needs that access is able to obtain that access for that particular patient. So is it securing both physical and digital assets or just digital? Mostly digital, yes. Okay. And what are your personal proudest achievements since joining SecureLink? Yeah, to be honest, you know, the easy, the easy answer to that would be to point to the sale of the company uh, last year to Covill Partners as the biggest accomplishment. Um, but really what I'm most proud of and what I've most enjoyed is, is the journey leading up to that point and, and really, you know, highlighting the, the business that we built over that time. Um, you know, prior to joining the business, SecureLink was, was truly focused on customer satisfaction and product quality um, and not really on go-to-market. And so while we were under the Vista Equity ownership, you know, the company really switched to a high-growth mentality. We knew that our product was needed across all those verticals that I mentioned, and we just really weren't actively going out and trying to sell the product. So as a part of that switch, I built the business plan and helped drive the mindset change towards sales and marketing, while at the same time ensuring customers and products were not neglected. Um, you know, our net retention is, is north of 100%, so it shows that our customers love our product and see value out of it because they continue to renew and they continue to use more of our product. Yeah, 100% um, retention. That's amazing. Yeah. The emphasis on our growth results in an average annual growth rate for us over the last few years of 36%. Um, and it also allowed us to build a scalable sales and marketing organization that's going to allow us to continue to grow into the future. Um, the other thing that I'm really proud of is, is the culture at SecureLink. Um, SecureLink has won multiple best practice awards um, due to that amazing culture and its employee base. Um, I, I'd love to say it was all me, but, I, you know, we had a really strong culture prior to joining the business, but I know that I've really helped that culture flourish in my tenure, and I'm, I'm really proud of the team that we've assembled. Our culture was obviously challenged during the pandemic, but, you know, we've persevered and we continue to provide a great place uh, for people to work that has amazing career opportunities. You know, one example is my, myself personally, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I've grown from being just a CFO um, to taking on legal responsibilities and renewal of our customer base um, and transitioning into that COO and CFO role, role. And so, you know, we what I like to say is we like to challenge our employees to learn and grow daily in their roles so that they can be better employees, you know, throughout their career as they continue on. It sounds like you have a lot to be proud of. So congratulations on those accomplishments. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. And switching gears a little bit. So let's talk about the role of CFO and, and how... You've seen this role evolve over the last decade or two. Yeah, I'd say the, the biggest change I've seen is related, uh, related to the CFO role is, is, is around strategy and operations. Um, you touched on it at the beginning of the call, but really, you know, historically, if you thought about the CFO, 
knowing the numbers and being able to forecast business projections were really the most important component of the role and, and really what you were mostly you know, judged off of. Whereas now I would say taking those financials and applying them to the business to drive operational decisions and help frame that strategy is probably the most important part of the role. You know, the CFO needs to be involved in helping the business set the strategy while at the same time ensuring the strategy doesn't negatively impact the operations of the business. And what does it mean to you to be a data-driven organization? Yeah, great question. Um, You know, when people talk about data, being a data-driven organization, they sometimes stop at the word data and forget that the key word in the classification to me is is really driven. Um, I think most businesses these days have come a long way on the data side. They do a great job of providing data and trends that are important to the business, whether it's metrics on bookings or sales growth or operational metrics around support and customer success like um, customer satisfaction or NPS. You know, companies are now trying to understand their operations on a metrics or data level. And I think a lot of businesses made that change. However, where the the real value comes for me is when the business actually is driven using that data. So a company truly becomes data driven to me when, when they follow a couple steps. You know, one, they can identify a problem. Two, compile data to understand that problem. Three, create a hypothesis on how to solve the problem. Four, implement those changes. And then lastly, you know, use data to iterate and optimize the results after that change. So constantly course correct based off what the data is telling you um, to get to that optimal solution. So using the data to drive business decisions to me is that the key value creation step in the process and is often overlooked. Um, you know, creating analyses that are not used to drive decisions can actually be a value detractor for the business due to wasted time and effort. You know, so one of the things that I love to tell my team is, we regularly review the metrics that we're compiling and reporting on um, to make sure that the business either either getting value or that we're driving decisions. Um, sometimes metrics are great as just checkpoints to make sure things aren't going off the rails, and some are used to actually drive and make decisions. So as long as you can check one of those boxes, I'd say that the data that's being published is worthwhile. But if you're just reporting on data for the sake of reporting on data, again, you could take those resources and do much more value. And just out of curiosity, um... So to become a data-driven organization, are there like new roles you're seeing that, that are being created or I guess new no, titles I, within the organization? You know, I would say that there's like, I think for us, a big emphasis has been around, you know, like you'll see operational teams reporting into functional organizations. And when I say that, you know, you'll have a revenue operations team that's going to focus solely on, you know, the sales data and the trends and rep performance Um and pipeline conversion and things of that nature. Um, you know, I've seen marketing operation teams that are are focused on helping that marketing team, um, you know, perform at its at its uh, best. Uh, but really, the team I think that has had the biggest impact is really the FP&A organization. So, you know, within financial planning and analysis. And uh, for me, it's not really a role shift. It's more just that mindset change. And you know, with with computing power and the access to data that we're seeing in the world today, like really using that data and actually using it to drive value, I think is, is where people need to get to. And because data is so much more prolific, it just makes it that much easier to go, go be able to use it and help the business kind of grow. And what do you think is wrong with the old fashioned way of doing things, which is where people just rely on their gut or maybe, you know, the previous, the previous experience that they've had with a problem? 
you know, like while gut and previous experience are, are obviously helpful in decision-making, I think you need to, to be able to have that data to support those decisions. You know, if you think about any sort of business situation, um, if you're saying, oh, this is exactly what I did in, in a past experience, like they're never going to be exactly the same. Um, there could be plenty of overlap between the two situations, but they're not going to perfectly align. So therefore, by using data, you know, you can take into consideration all the minor differences between your past experience and what you're facing now. Um, and you can run variable testing to get to a better solution. You know, you're not going to just say, this is what was successful in the past. Let's apply it now. Yeah, let's apply that now, but let's use data to kind of cater and figure out, you know, how we can tweak that assumption to make it even better for the business long-term. And what do you see as the benefits of becoming data-driven? Yeah, I would say number one for me is really consistency and predictability. You know, by tracking and reporting on leading indicators, the business now has a forward view on expectations of business performance. This allows the business to both improve on trends that are unfavorable, as well as prepare now for what's going to happen in the future. An example of this is, you know, if your pipeline metrics are predicting an overperformance in sales, you know, say six months out from now, it allows you to update your hiring plan to ensure you have the services and implementation resources to support the expected increase in new customers. If you weren't looking forward and, and trying to figure out what those projections were going to be, you could get in a situation where you, you know, you, you sign all these new customers and all of a sudden you aren't able to provide them the level of support that you're, you know, you're used to. And so by doing that, you've got that predictability as you look forward and what you expect from a business perspective. You know, number two for me, I would say is accountability. If the company's identified the key metrics that can, that's going to drive the company's success, they can identify the owners for those metrics and hold the leaders accountable to drive those results. You know, it's one of those things where if you're watching something, you know, it's going to perform better. And so by identifying those key metrics and giving owners to each of them, those owners are going to watch them and make sure that the business is performing in those areas, which is again, going to lead to better consistency and predictability. Um, And then number three, you know, I I touched on this before, but like if, if the business is able to tie business decisions to analytical insights, it helps you tell the story behind your hypothesis for change. So in my career, you know, businesses that, that have been data-driven exhibit a few key, key characteristics. They're continuously improving the business through metrics. Their employees at all levels understand and can report on the data and have increased, uh, excuse me, and the business has increased organizational agility to diagnose, diagnose and solve problems. And lastly, they're better at change management management as they can tell the story of change throughout their numbers. So are you providing specific training to your employees to be able to use data? Yeah, for me, it's, it's really, it's, it's more asking the so what or, or what does this mean for us? So if we put together a data analysis, you know, we, we're going to want to look at it and say, what are the conclusions that we can make from it? And now let's take it one step further. So, you know, if, if a trend is, is going in one direction, it's like, what does that mean for us? And how is that going to impact the rest of the business? And by, by taking a step back away from the numbers and looking at it through that lens, you can now say, okay, this is the trend that's going to happen and it's going to have X, Y, and Z impacts on the rest of the business. Now let's go look at what those trends are going to do. And are we going to see a change from something that we just identified? So again, it's really just more trying to ask that informational question of like, okay, what does this mean? And how can we use this to better make a decision about what we're trying to do? And it seems so many organizations fall short of of becoming data-driven. So what do you see as the most common roadblocks? Yeah, I would say probably for me, the three biggest challenges are uh, choosing the best data to analyze. Uh, number two, which is crucial, is ensuring data integrity. 
And then three, applying that data. You know, there's other challenges that exist, like picking the correct tools and systems. You know, in the beginning, it's going to be hard to build muscle, but you, you know, you want to build that muscle to analyze data effectively. So that's going to take some time. Um, and then compilation of data. Right now, we've got data coming from so many different sources, being able to pull it all together so that way you can analyze it can also be a challenge. Uh, but I would say that those, those last ones aren't nearly as hard as those first three. You know, at first, with the, with the lack of experience and knowledge of all the possible data streams, choosing the best data, data to analyze can be a difficult task. Um, however, this step is, is absolutely crucial to ensure that you're moving down the correct path and looking at the information that will, um, that will help you solve the problem. You know, like if you're picking the wrong data set, even if you get to an answer, it may not solve the problem that you're trying to, trying to look at at that point in time. So again, picking that data set and finding the right um, numbers and, and information for you to help go drive that decision is going to be crucial. You know, ensuring data integrity, which I said is, is extremely important, um, is, is very challenging, you know, and it's, it's all about continuity over time so that we can help identify trends. Um, the way you can overcome this challenge is by defining processes and policies around your data and how it's going to be calculated and how it's going to be reported and making sure that those are followed. You know, a perfect example of this is, is by setting the criterion for when a sales opportunity converts into the pipeline um, and following that same process. So whether it's a gating factor around, is it a demo meeting or is it interest from a prospect or what is that level of threshold? And by having that be standardized throughout the history of the business, you're going to get uh, data that's going to come out that is going to be the exact same over time, which is going to allow you to understand what the trends are doing. If you're constantly changing that threshold of, of what actually, or when does that uh, opportunity convert, the trends and the information that you're going to be looking at isn't going to be nearly as valuable um, because you're not, you know, the, the changing the metric could be what's driving the trend instead of seeing the trend actually change in the business, if that makes sense. Um, and then lastly, applying the data is, is also a common roadblock as you can have detractors who, who don't believe what the data is telling you. You know, I think this challenge can be overcome by showing trended data and proving the consistency behind the numbers. Um, you know, once you get into the details and show someone, hey, this is really what it's showing us and we're going to continue down, the, down this path, it's really hard for detractors to argue when the data has been successful in the past and can show um, what, what to expect for the business. And to your first point about picking the right data, what tips do you have for doing that, making sure you're not boiling the ocean? Yeah, so I think if, if you're looking at a problem, you know, you want to say, what's the root of the problem and what's causing this? And so that's the first place to start. So if, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a great example, but if you, if you have that problem and you say, this is the key thing that's actually driving it, that's the data set where you want to start. Um, you know, you're then going to want to expand and look at other ancillary data sets to see if they're having an impact on the results in that root, root part. Um, but really focusing on that route in the beginning is where you're going to get the most value. And regarding change management, I know that's often one of the hardest steps for companies on their journey in becoming data-driven is, is just changing the, the mindset and the processes that have been in place forever. So how do you overcome organizational resistance and, and get people to start doing things in a new way? Yeah, so I'd say this is a really challenging question because the answer is going to depend on the dynamics of the company. Um, but one tactic that I've seen be successful across you know the multiple companies that I've worked at um, is really to focus on company performance. 
excuse me, so the, the reason for needing more data is really trying to make the company better. Um, if we can focus on how every department in the company is taking similar steps to look at data and find ways to improve their team, it's hard for someone to be like, I don't need to do that when the rest of the business is. Also, you know, getting more data is not about finding faults in the current situation or structure of, of what's being done. It's about the improvements that we're going to make to make the company overall better. Um, you know, the question I love to ask people is who doesn't want to be the best at their job or their function, right? Like if someone doesn't want to raise their hand there, then they're probably not the right person for the job. And I think using data can make that possible. Um, and so again, it's, it's really focusing on how this is going to make us better, not focusing on why we did things the way we did in the past. It's really about the improvement and where we're trying to get to continuous improvement. And are there any tools or technologies that you're using right now that are helping make your life easier? Yeah, I mean, there's so if I think about the, the couple core products, you know, I would say that there's multiple products out there that fit that that subset. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid naming specific names and really just kind of focus on the key products that I've seen be helpful. Okay. Um, so you know, starting with CRM or you know resource management um, and having that system linked to your ERP or GL function um, is crucially important because it allows you to automate you know almost all of the finance and accounting organization. Um, so whether it's you know something all the way from the beginning of when you're actually quoting a customer, having that data be able to flow through all the way to your GL to when you're actually invoicing. So basically from quote to cash. Um, having that, you know, like I said, integrated and automated. So all that information flows to your systems. It prevents errors. It makes the process more streamlined, which means you're going to get your cash quicker, which is obviously a key component of the business. Um, and then if you think about the data driven side on the, on the, on the back end of that, you know, the two tools that I've seen be the best are, are really BI tools and then CPM tools. And so BI obviously being business intelligence, you know, with the ones we focus on there around uh, sales and marketing. And so we spend a lot of time really digging into our pipeline, digging into our rep performance and digging into trends that we're seeing in the business from those perspectives. Um, you know, being able to take your sales data and break it down into um, what verticals are buying the product, what's the ASP of the product, what's the sales cycle of the product. All that stuff can be generated at, you know, at the push of a button coming out of a solid BI tool. Um, and then lastly, CPM, you know, you know, uh, company performance management, um, being able to take the financial data that's in your ERP and report on it in multiple different ways and compare to your budget and compare to your forecast. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, like businesses and the environment is so rapidly changing now. Um, you know, you, your budget that you set at the beginning of the year could be antiquated three months later and you need to be driving based off your forecast. Um, and that forecast is going to change every single month. So having a great CPM in place allows you to be able to benchmark off of, you know, the right data set about what's most important and what's most relevant to the business at that point in time. I, I really like your point about, um, you know, having your CRM linked to your ERP and, and automating the whole process of quote cash. I feel like a lot of companies probably struggle becoming data-driven because their data is so disjointed. Yeah. And to be honest, like that's one of the things that allows your business to be scalable. Like if you're trying to go from 500 customers to a thousand customers, the way to solve that is not, you know, just adding more people to go through manual processes. You need to automate those processes. So like you said, you can have the data coming out of the system to be able to analyze it, but also you can, you can then scale at a more cost-effective way because you've got the tools and systems in place to be able to support your customers on a daily basis. 
And lastly, as a CFO, what is keeping you up at night these days? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I'd say there's really two things that keep me up at night right now. Um, number one is growth. Uh, you know, our business, as I said, we, we've quadrupled our size in the last four years and we want to continue that trend. So we want to continue to grow. And I, and I always think back to the, you know, the old saying, if you're not growing, you're dying. Um, so that's always in the, in the back of my mind and constantly thinking about how can we accelerate our growth and what data can we look at um, to improve our sales and marketing organizations. And, and like I said, help the business grow. Like I, I want to be an enabler for sales and marketing to allow the business uh, to continue its trajectory. Number two for me is really kind of in, in you know, the current and rapidly changing job market that you're seeing is, is really around employee retention. Um, you know, with the, the ever-changing world we're seeing right now, you know, you have employees out there who are able to work fully remote, which means the, the competition to, fi- to find and retain top talent has drastically changed within the last year or so. Um, so I worry about how can we protect, you know, one of our most valuable resources, which is our employees. And then additionally, how do we attract more top talent as we grow? Um, you know, that job market is just so fierce right now um, that it's just something that's always in the back of my mind, thinking about how are we going to get the next best person to help us take our business to the next level? Yeah, that's true. I never thought about that. But these days, employees can be poached from, you know, companies anywhere in the United States, not to mention all over the world. Exactly. Exactly. It's challenging for sure. I think every business right now is facing it. So yeah. <laughs> we're all in the same boat. Uh Chip, thank you so much for being my guest today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, I really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your experience and the resulting insights. I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today, and I wish you and SecureLink all the best. Thanks so much. It was, it was a pleasure. Yep. To all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.